I just wanted to find something to help my kids, direct them to something positive that they could be happy. Sports are what made me happy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me on another exciting edition of the Richard Listens podcast. I'm Richard Listens, and thank you for joining me to talk with the fabulous people in my world and my community. And today, I'm excited to bring to you someone who crosses many of the areas that we talk about on the Richard Listens show, uh, which include business, entrepreneurship, and, of course, athleticism and combining the two as well as being a parent and a sports parent and how to integrate all these areas in one so i'm very excited uh, today my guest mr ryan lynch of summit equity investments mr lynch uh it has he's a father of three kids two daughters currently playing division one soccer at clemson Allie and Danny, and he also played baseball himself at UCLA and went on to be drafted by the Minnesota Twins and played for the Padres and Baltimore Orioles. His brother, John Lynch, played professional baseball and football and is currently the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. His father was a professional football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he is currently a partner at Summit Equity investments a real estate investment firm he's been a licensed contractor since 2008 and has invested over 1.5 billion in real estate and held ownership interests in over 2.5 million square feet of property in california arizona texas florida maryland and michigan he's a member of the board of children's burn foundation and serves as the president of the west los angeles little league he obtained his BA in history from UCLA and the brother-in-law of Joe Rosen, the president of Summit Equity Investments. Without further ado, uh, it is my honor and pleasure to bring in Mr. Ryan Lynch. Welcome to the show, Ryan Lynch. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. How are you enjoying this heat wave in Southern California? It's not too bad if you're inside. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, not lie. the jacked we've up AC, a, I see the purpose. <laughs> yeah, we've had a few AC issues at my office, but other than that, we're hanging in there. <laughs> so uh, you are a partner and one of the founders of Summit Equity Investments? Yeah, um, I founded this company with uh, two partners of very close friend and my brother-in-law uh, in 2009 uh, after the world had had a, pretty much an economic meltdown. And we saw that there was some great opportunity in real estate to kind of take advantage of, of what had happened. And we were, we were able to move pretty quickly and, and build our company pretty quickly as well. Yeah, and I was reading off to our listeners in your bio all the different states that you're located in. Um, yeah, is it is it hard to be on the ground here and managing uh, a business across continental U.S.? Um, I mean, you have to be. You can't ma you can't manage from behind your desk. So, my partners and I do a good job, as well as our staff, getting out and seeing all the properties on a regular basis. But it takes commitment. Um, 
we third party manage everything. So we use uh, local or regional managers to manage uh, properties. And like most service industries post COVID, it's been difficult uh, to find people that really want to work. Um, and um, so it's hard, but um, we're on top of it. And, and uh, we feel there's still, even, even though there's some uncertain economic times right now with high interest rates and all that there's uh we still feel there's a lot of opportunity out there right this is a good you know segue or i know we'll bounce back and forth between your experience as an athlete and and um interactions with the sports psychology world and the need to be flexible and adaptable how do you do that uh in business where right we face you mentioned uh, just your inception of the business in 2009 and then the times the world we're in right now where you see challenges opportunity well i think the adaptability is one of mine and my partner's uh um strengths um we each have different skill sets um i'm more of the construction background um, my other partner, Michael, is day-to-day operations, and then my brother-in-law, Joe, uh, has a legal background, but all of that kind of melds together in the operations side. Um, and our ability to adapt, I think, is it, it comes across in a lot of different ways. We adapt to mark different markets. We had been in Arizona. We've moved for, we've been out of Arizona once we thought things got overbought there and moved to nashville or indianapolis or charlotte um so i think we're able to adapt that way we're also not afraid to try new things um if we feel it might be able to um to make us money um uh for example we built the largest at the time the largest solar um solar project on an apartment building in arizona this was about 10 years ago now or yeah, 10 years ago. Um, and it was Ava, it was a no brainer deal for us, but that's just a kind of an example where we've been able to adapt and, uh, in challenging times, like I think we could be heading into, um, that is a, a very important thing to be able to find different ways to be successful. Uh, and that's kind of applicable across anything you do. Right. Sounds like having a team or having partners that, that have those strengths uh, and that you align in that way certainly helps. Yeah, you have to be able to to uh, rely on people you work with and people that work for you or people you work for, for that matter. Um, we have investors we certainly don't want to let down. Um, but at the same time, um, we're heavily invested personally in these deals. So we 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 uh, we are incentivized in that manner too. So um, yeah, I think each of us knowing what our skill sets are, knowing what our strengths are, and being able to to be um, useful and give input where we where it's necessary or helpful, then then uh, we're we're really able to do that. Nobody really cares who gets the credit. Right. So certainly some of that team concept is, <laughs> comes through and, and, and it helps, right? That doesn't exist in every business or in every company. 
did you get that from home from dad did you get that from being an athlete where would you say you started to get that foundation? I mean, probably probably started with my parents um they always told us from a young age no matter what we did uh, if we were going to do it do it 100 percent and do it the right way be a good teammate be coachable um don't be a pushover stand up for what you believe in but be coachable listen keep your mouth shut and and uh when you're asked to speak, speak. <laughs> and, and and what's that like? I mean, were you, were you uh, able to see your dad play professionally, or were, how were you? I was play? not. My my dad uh, had a very short career. I guess you'd consider it a cup of coffee with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I was born five years after that. Um, so n- neither myself nor either of my siblings were able to truly see it. Um, uh, but, um, you know, he was drafted in 1968 or 69 by the Pittsburgh Steelers, the same draft as mean Joe green. Um, and they had an, it was Chuck Knoll's first year. Um, and, uh, they were very, they weren't a good football team, but he blew out his knee and that pretty much back then ended your career. So, um, but he was, he, from what we knew, he was always um, heavily involved in sports. You know, he played baseball and football in high school, and uh, played football at Drake University in Iowa, and then was drafted uh, later by the Steelers. But I, I never got to see him play, but I saw the uh, the intensity he had, the focus, commitment, and that showed, you know, in the work that he did uh, after football as well. Did he move into coaching or did he move into? No, he, um, he actually was in sales. So he, back in the sixties, even in the off season, they had other jobs. So he started out, I think selling used cars and then he sold ad time for the Chicago Tribune. And then he got into radio ad sales and worked his way from sales to sales manager to general manager to actually owning a large radio company. Um, that he sold in the late 90s when there was a lot of consolidation. But um, kind of, he, he, my, dad, dad, my dad did not grow up with a lot and made a, made a real success for himself out of just hard work and never giving up. That's beautiful. And so was it, was it a foregone conclusion that, that you and your brother would be athletes? Uh, did you... Uh, did you love it? Was it how was it handled in the in the home? Um, I don't. I mean, we. I don't think we ever felt like we were forced to play anything, uh, but we weren't going to sit around, be allowed to sit around the house and do nothing. That just wasn't. It just what it didn't even need to be discussed. I think we drove ourselves nuts, but our mom nuts too. Um, <laughs> So we were busy. I mean, we played a little bit of everything back then. You know, there's all this specialization today. We, I mean, I played football, baseball, basketball, soccer, golf, tennis. I did junior lifeguard, um, and that would be impossible today. One thing uh, added the next season, right? There were seasons for everything. Everything started and stopped, uh, and now everything just kind of runs together. <laughs> 
which uh, it's very different. But no, we were, um, we were never. I, I never felt forced. We always loved playing the sports we played, but we were we were taught at a young age that if you're going to do it, you're going to commit to it. You show up at practice. You you don't miss practice and, uh, uh, unless there's something extenuating and uh and just be there to learn incredible and uh when did you realize that you wanted to, to play collegiately or did you just have success at an early age um you know i was always a uh kind of a athletic i guess i would say but i was under i was small i'm a bigger guy um now but until i was freshman sophomore in high school i was one of the shorter kids in the class i held the sign in the team photo <laughs> um uh, i was undersized and i actually repeated eighth grade i was also young for my grade i was a, an august birthday um and i was um i think i was under five foot my first eighth grade year um and then I repeated eighth grade and um, I think I grew a foot the next year um, and did wonders for me. In it, additionally, I was, I don't think I was socially ready to go to high school yet. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it ended up for me. I was a, I was a smaller kid and um, kind of came into my own in high school, um, had a really good football and uh and baseball career at my high school and nobody was really sure i wasn't sure if i was going to play one sport or both sports in college as my brother had done um and because of that i was recruited a little bit later um but i would say i mean uh high school i started to become recognized and then college things kind of took off for me and having a brother he was how many years older um, John was three years older, but four years in school. So by me repeating, we were never actually in high school together, but it was daunting, uh, following him at the same high school. Um, and not because of other people, uh, intentionally just, you know, they were, he, he had had an unbelievable high school career. He was one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school heavily recruited um and uh so whether people did it but i i put a lot of pressure on myself um and not necess necessary i didn't necessarily know how to deal with it uh at the time but um it was probably a good thing that we were not at at school at the same time because it gave me a little bit of a leeway to do stuff on my own my own way that's interesting. So, so there was pressure. I was wondering if seeing him as a dual sport athlete created a model for how, how to do it or normalize it. But it, it sounds like it also added a lot of pressure. I mean, him him doing it made me, I think, made it easier on me making a decision to just play one. I saw how difficult it was on him. He was never fully able to engage in one, just when he was getting into it. Next season was starting, and so. Um, I was left-handed, uh, played first base and was a pitcher. And I saw some, obviously there are some distinct advantages being left-handed and throwing hard in baseball. 
versus being a slow linebacker. <laughs> You're right. And and so, what was it like uh, to to get recruited at UCLA? I mean, what did that mean to you? Um, it was exciting. I, I had a um, I had had a really good junior and senior years in high school, and um, hadn't still had grown tall, but had not filled out. I was kind of a beanpole, skin and bones. Um, and I started getting noticed by Notre Dame and talked to USC a little bit, USC, but not a ton. Um, and because I was later, there wasn't a ton of money left uh, for scholarship money. And, you know, in baseball, they they divvy it up. It's not whole scholarship. So very rarely do guys get full scholarships. There's normally one or maybe two on a team because I believe most schools only have 13 full scholarships. So um, I ended up at UCLA and uh, was very excited. Um, we were not very good when I got there. Um, I want to say we were seven and 27 at one point in this, in my freshman year, but that gave, gave me the opportunity to play um, because we were not good. They played everybody. And I, I became very quickly that year became our closer. Um, I did not get a ton of use because we weren't ahead a lot, but um, there were some amazing guys on those teams that I was on. Uh, and then my junior year, we made it to the regional final and lost to the team that ultimately won the World Series. So, um, but played with a lot of guys that played in the major league, played with guys that are still in the game today. Dave Roberts was a mentor to me, the manager of the Dodgers. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And we used to spend a good deal of time together in the car because he lived down in San Diego where I grew up. And so whenever I was going home, he told me I was giving him a ride. So, um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of my path to UCLA. It was special. So that's not an easy way to enter your collegiate career, only winning 25% of your games. <laughs> no, we were not good, but, you know, we knew... We knew that, number one, we were playing in probably the most, at the time that it was the Pac-6, was hands down the best uh, division in, in uh, best league in college baseball. Produced the most pro players, um, most national championships at that time. And there were some really good ball clubs. And then our midweek games, you know, we're playing Long Beach State, who's nationally ranked, Pepperdine, who's nationally ranked. There were no days off, really. Whereas, you know, you some of these teams in the South and in the Midwest are playing tiny, tiny colleges. Um, it was it was intense, but I was in the middle of it, so I didn't really see it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you pointed this out, Ryan, because as athletes, right, your ability to have the mindset around – where am I, right, that I'm being challenged, I'm getting the opportunity to play. So mm -hmm. how we deal with success or perceives or wins and losses and the ability to handle that, right? It's really hard adjustment for a lot of talented athletes to go to top-name schools and maybe not play as much originally or go through this transition phase. Uh, how do you think you were able to have that mentality to go through that time? I mean, for me, it was just a, de a decision. Um, I was a um, heavily 
recruit a first baseman was a very good hitter. And I got to UCLA and maybe the second week I was there, we were working out. The coach said, look, we have a preseason All-American at first base. You can redshirt or pitch. And I hadn't pitched a ton, but I had pitched enough. I said, I'll pitch. I never played first base again. Um, so that that was kind of my the choice I made. Um, sure, I was upset. I couldn't hit. I begged them for the next three years to let me hit and finally did get to hit uh, later in my junior year and uh, ended my career one for one. But um, <laughs> good, thing, good um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes you don't find success right away and it takes uh, a lot of different things, but you just have to be able to solve, figure out a way to solve your problems in a, in a healthy manner. Um, and at that time, I didn't always know how to do that. Uh, and because everything, as you escalate up the ladder of sports or anything, it just gets harder and harder because everybody's good at their job. Uh, and you're, you, you know, it gives you the moment where you look around and you say, wow, everybody's good. Like, how do I fit into this? Am I good enough? Right. And for a lot of athletes, that's that's a hard place to be, right, when you've been the most dominant, the strongest. Uh, it is. And, and you see guys literally fold. Um, I mean, I saw teammates that couldn't deal with it and literally never made it on the field because of it. Um, I was always fairly relaxed. I mean, my dad was intense uh, growing up, uh, but I thought always fair. Um but you always knew where you stood with them. Um, and just some people and maybe him being tough on us, uh, helped, helped, um, prepare us for that because, you know, college coaches are, and pro coaches are interested in one thing, keeping their job. And so they have to win at all costs. Um, and that doesn't always necessarily put what's best for you first. Right, very so, tough lesson to learn yeah. at eighteen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but you did that culture at UCLA that fitting in, finding your way, finding your path, prepare you for being a, a professional. Absolutely, I mean, um, one of the things that ultimately I think got Gary Gary Adams was my manager at UCLA. He was there twenty nine, thirty years. Uh, after being a player there and Gary, Gary um, was almost more focused on getting guys ready for being a professional than winning a national championship. And if you looked when he was there and it's continued today, but the amount of guys they put into the pros every year was astonishing. Um, but uh, his, his keystones were family school baseball, um, and, and kind of in that order. And then um, his number one job in baseball was preparing you to be a pro. And he made that known. So uh, I thought that was beneficial for us as individuals, but maybe not necessarily for the program. 
So, um, did you were you were you certain that you'd, you'd be able to make the majors, or was it a, a surprise? Like what? No, I mean, I, I, it was number one. It was very different. Um, the only way you got your news back then was really through Baseball America, maybe, which was I don't even I think the publication's still around, but it that's where you read about transactions and uh, uh, prospect lists and all that, but there wasn't really, um, you know, when I was in high school, there was very little club baseball. And then, you know, you had summer ball in, in college baseball and where really kind of, I knew that I had a chance was summer after my sophomore year, I got invited to play in the Cape Cod collegiate baseball league. And, you know, we were showing up at our games and you'd have 35 scouts at every game. Uh, it's kind of hard not to notice. Uh, and you're playing with guys, ultimately, I mean, we had several first-round picks on my team alone. So uh, pretty much 90, 90% of the guys who play in that league get drafted. And it was a time when, obviously, the draft was a lot larger than it is now. It's all all changed a ton. So one of the most exciting moments of your life or um, uh, playing summer ball or, or getting drafted? Getting drafted, yeah. Well, uh, getting drafted was, was um, it was a great day. I remember I was in San Diego with my parents. Um, I fell in the draft because my uh, I had hurt my arm. I had tendonitis. I think most of my junior year did not pitch a lot. Kind of fell from a mid, you know, five through nine round pick to uh, I went in the twelfth round to the Twins, um, and the scout had told me a year before that they were going to draft me, um, and I didn't believe them, but um, there it was. And then a matter of days, I was uh, off to Florida for a mini camp with all the guys that had been drafted. It was, uh, incredible. Any, uh, significant memories from, um, getting called up? Um, I, I don't remember. I remember the specific phone, phone call. This was like the infancy of cell phones. And, uh, I remember they called me on my cell phone to tell me uh, the scout called me. Um, don't specifically remember the call. I do remember a call several years later when I had gone back to finish my degree uh, at UCLA that they had paid for in my contract. And the scout called me out of the blue Um not for a great reason, tell me they were sick with cancer, but I told him I was sitting on the floor graduating at UCLA with the money he had given me the years earlier. So wow. the timing was just, it was, uh, uh, scary <laughs> how that, how that kind of worked out. But I mean, I had great experiences in the minor leagues. Uh, I grew up, you know, middle class, upper middle class, um, uh, and had a, a great life in a California beach town. So 
uh, I had some culture shock moments being sent off. I mean, I went a hundred miles away for college. So this was truly my first time being away from home. Uh, and other than the mini camp I went to, uh, in Florida after the draft, uh, we got shipped off to, um, what I think it was the smallest town in the minor leagues, Elizabeth in Tennessee up in the Appalachian mountains. Wow. And, um, you know, bought a car for 50 bucks. I mean, all those stories are exist. Um, but it was, it was a great experience because you met people from all different places, walks of life. Um, and, uh, just really a great time. Uh, in my life, I still miss parts of it. Uh, the hanging out with the guys part, I miss most. Uh, that's the stuff you can't replace. Uh, the camaraderie and team experience. Yeah, for sure. There's nothing like being part of a team. Yes, and I want to. You know, I I know we your time is short today, and I want to make sure that we get to um, your experience as a father, a sports parent, and being able to carry this forward um for your own children and and perhaps maybe this is some of the motivation for creating this for them and um you know also about your work uh we read about some of your your charitable work um so um how has that been is it is it has it always been from the beginning of foregone conclusion that your children would be athletes i mean i would love my kids to be interested in things I'm interested in because then there's commonality, but I really just want them to be happy in whatever they're doing. Now, coming from uh, the family I come from, there's, you walk into my parents' house, there's always sports on, something is on. So it's hard to be part of the family, I guess, and not be involved in sports somehow. Um, Between my brother's kids and, and my sister's kids, um, you know, there's several division one athletes, um, you know, the athletic gene is clearly there. You never know when a kid's born, if they're going to be a good athlete, uh, you just want your kids to be happy. And, um, in a time and even in LA, a place where it, I think it's tough to grow up and be a kid, um, with all the, um, all the ancillary stuff that's going on at school and in the world today. It's just, I, I just wanted to find something to help my kids direct them to something positive And so that they could be happy sports are what made me happy. Um, other than my cousins that I'm very close with, I come from a very close family, but other than my cousins, my teammates were my closest friends always without a doubt. Um, I never went to school with most of the kids I played sports with until high school. I always went to private school. And then in high school, I switched to the public high school near our house. And while I never went to school with them, I was playing sports with them. And so when I got there in high school, I had all my sports friends built in when I got to that school. Um, but you know, my, uh, I have two older daughters, a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. Um, and my older daughter refused to play uh, soccer, um, would not play, and actually did not start playing until her younger sister said, I'll play. 
So they started playing soccer at the same time. Uh, and they had done, you know, dance and all the different things that little girls want to do, dance, and, um, softball, and they just weren't interested. They really gravitated towards soccer. Um, I grew up playing soccer. I played uh, on a um, competitive team till I was about 15, and then um, American football, I, I kind of had to choose at that point, but played on a highly competitive team. We traveled internationally. Uh, we had seven or eight guys played division one soccer and uh, one played on three world cup teams for the u.s a guy named frankie hayda um and so i grew up around it i knew the sport and um so i coached ayso and we went that route and then they moved over to play club when they were about 10 years old and um yeah, you know, I just told them if you want to be good at something, you have to work. There's there's always those that are insanely talented and can just kind of show up um and they can get by to a certain point. My kids always just worked hard out. They were maybe overlooked at times and they just would were willing to outwork anybody. And um uh my oldest is a goalkeeper and you know that takes special training on its own outside of practice so there's a lot of one-on-one time with your coach uh whoever you work with and so i just remember the the times in the car like just driving um because that was the time that i got to spend with them i travel a lot for work and so my time in the car was that with them was the time we got to catch up and so um and i wanted to make their experience is as good as it could possibly be. Um, and so um, we there we were, we were off and running with soccer. And then I, I want to ask you about that real quick, Ryan, because yeah. I have the advantage. I always tell my, my son who's off in Spain playing soccer that I, I'm a basketball guy and I have three kids that all play soccer. That mm-hmm. the advantage was that I didn't know anything about the sport. So, I couldn't say that. So how did you, as, a, as an athlete, as, as this family of athletes, how do you keep it uh, of the context of, about the relationships and about? Yeah, fun? it's, I mean, look, I, I like winning, period. I like winning. Um, but there's a lot to be learned from, learned from losing, too. And um, uh, I, there were always moments where I needed to take a step back. I was too intense or just not handling things the right way. Um, But it's really just about having perspective and making sure they're happy. Um, uh, Yeah, there were always times when I maybe got too intense or needed to take a step back, but um, I didn't, I didn't care whether they played through grade school, through high school, through college, just the kind of this, I just wanted them to, if they were going to do it, commit to it a hundred percent and work as hard as they could. And wherever that landed them, then that landed them. If they decided at a certain age, like they were done with it, um, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't make my kid like 
things that I like. I can't make my kid um, uh, enjoy sports, but they ended up in a spot where they had some success and they both worked extremely hard. And, uh, you know, the 20 year old is a junior goalkeeper at Clemson. And now my 18 year old daughter is a freshman at Clemson. And, um, you know, starting kind of starting that, that fight over trying to get on the field, uh, trying to get on the field of a top, 15 team in the nation is not always easy. So, um, and, uh, but they're having the time of their lives. They're getting a great education and, um, you know, and they get to be part of a, part of a team. Right. And then what they've got the right dad for the job to help them fight through the challenge. Cause there are some athletes that are, you know, but a uh, top level, I feel we call it national level team for soccer. And then, they it would be better being a bigger fish in a small pond. The, the being at the UCLA's and the Clemson and the Stanford is really not easy. Yeah, I mean, either of my daughters could have taken the route to go to a smaller school and probably stepped on the field right away. But they wanted, they had made the decision. They wanted to play at a big school in a Power Five conference and and have that experience and. Um, you know, for my goalkeeper daughter, Allie, the oldest, you know, it's hard. There's only one goalkeeper. They're not rotating them. Uh, and the girl who is, uh, ahead of her right now is very good. Uh, probably going to be on some postseason all-star teams. So it'll be hard for her to get on the field. Um, and it's just about Allie keeping the right mindset to be ready if she's called on and take advantage of the opportunity when she is called on. And if not, then her time will come next year when this girl graduates. That's right. But then what a lesson for life that is about earning your time and yeah, uh, being a team player. I want to, I know you mentioned that you got to experience one of my mentors, Ken Revisa along the way in sports psychology. I just maybe thought you could tell us a, story or uh what you what you gained from that experience yeah um i want to say it was probably about my sophomore year um i struggled with my emotions uh while on the field um not like i was throwing a tantrum but um you know when you're a pitcher you need to be even keel it's like a uh, as my coach used to say, a, a duck on the water. You know, your head is calm, but under the water, your feet are, are paddling feverishly. Um, and I wore my emotions on my sleeve. So if I struggling to throw strikes, I was huffing and puffing, and I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. And uh, my dad actually, out of the blue, said, I made you an appointment with this guy. And uh, I want you to go see him. And I said, well, who's this guy? He's like, he's a sports psychologist. And this is 1995. You know, you were either dying or in a mental hospital if you were going to see a psychologist at that point, at that time. That's just the way it was. Um, There's a lot of stories about that. Yeah, sports psychologists. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Forms in the stadiums. (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, so I wouldn't say I went unwillingly. I was apprehensive for sure. I didn't know what I was walking into. 
And I went to Ken's house. I want to say we only met a couple of times, but we met at his house. And even in the two to three hours we spent together, just he made everything so simple, just simplified everything, stripped it down, talked about taking things one pitch at a time and talked about the stoplight. And uh, if, if it is a yellow, if there's still a yellow light on in your head, do not step on the mound. Like don't even, you're not ready to throw a pitch, get off the mound. Um, so that helped me um, almost instantly. I had success when I just started Im- implementing some of the things I worked on with Ken. And I can't say that I, I remember it vividly. It was almost, it was tw- almost 30 years ago now, but um, there were certain aspects of it that that resonate with me and um you know how to just take a breath and clear your head um before you're ready to move on to the next task and that almost applies to anything mm-hmm. yeah valuable skills and nowadays right uh, you know parents uh, <laughs> these situations we're talking about these very scenarios about the drives in the car about right how to control yourself from getting so intense or competing and really being aware of the ranking and and where you stand as an athlete at a very young age and yet this need to like really be in touch with what you're feeling and how you're reacting in the moment and how that can shift everything yeah Uh, and and how and by how you look how you're perceived by others that was the biggest thing like i took away was you look like a fool, you know, and people are seeing this. Um, and, you know, Ken wasn't trying to make you feel stupid about yourself, but he's like, just like, look at, at how this looks on film. It's just not a good look. So, um, you know, sometimes if you see video of, of yourself doing something, it, it really resonates because it's right there in front of you. There's no hiding from it. Right. It raises the awareness about what energy you're giving off internally, sure. wanting to throw a strike, but externally we're coming off out of yeah. control. Yeah. And it's not po- like you had, you know, it's not like you had Ken who was just saying, you know, you always hear people yell from the stands when a guy's struggling to throw strikes. Well, I'm trying to throw strikes. <laughs> 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 a lot of other stuff going on here. So. A lot of stimulus um, to, to block yeah. out even that as a, as a lesson yeah. for life. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, so um, you're continuing this journey on uh, with your son, with baseball. Um, you've got the Heartburn Foundation. Is that the name of it? Uh, the Children's Burn Foundation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I've been involved. That? I've been involved with the Children's Burn Foundation. Uh, I was on the board until about four years ago. I, I just, or three years ago, um, but uh, have stayed involved. I got involved with the Children's Burn Foundation in um, probably around 2010, 2007. Um, I, uh, I was in an accident and burned my hands um, and was in the hospital for about a month at the, at the, um, uh, Grossman Burn Center in Van Nuys, uh, 
it was it was at Van Nuys Hospital at the time. It's now at West Hills, and that's just an it's an organization where they create programs uh, for kids that have have been through uh, burns, and um, also provide treatment for kids from all over the world and within the U.S. who need uh, burn treatment, whether that's you know cosmetic surgery or surgery just to make their quality of life better. So it's a great organization um, uh, that I've been involved with for a long time. Yes, amazing work. And, and you know, we thank you for, for everything you're doing. So is there chances you'll get pulled back into to coaching or is it, is it retired for now? My coaching days, uh, I think, are over. Um, I work with my, my son in the batting cage a lot. Um, that's the only coaching I do really. Um, and I'll help them where I can, but, um, I'm going to leave it to the professionals and just enjoy watching at this point. Yeah. That must be a joy for you. Do you get that? Have you been to Clemson at all to see the daughters play? Um, well, when, uh, we were down in Florida for the Maccabi games, uh, with the boys, we, um, flew to North Carolina after that to see the girls play in Wilmington for a preseason game. And then we came home and then we were just in Utah last week uh, to see them play a couple of games. They played Utah Valley University and University of Utah. So we were able to see them then. And then some trips planned later in the, in the season. It's just a matter of matching those up with, with our son's schedule. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, amazing, amazing journey, and I thank you for for making time and for really sharing your energy with uh, my son on his journey into sports, wherever it may land. <laughs> uh, <could laughs> my you, pleasure. Uh, so, Ryan, maybe you know, tell us a little bit about how to stay in touch with you. Anyone who wants to learn about your work or contact you through Summit Equity Investments, uh, or or you know, learn about your career, anything. Um, how do, how do people find out more? Um, I'm available by uh, email lynch, L-Y-N-C-H, at summitei.com is my work email. And uh, by phone, 310-867-0495. Those are the best ways to reach me. Thank you. And I was I was thanking you as a, as a parent, as a sports parent, uh, meeting you in this realm um, you know, that it's a really important role. How many, how many parents come to me professionally and being someone on this journey and trying to raise children through sports that they get healthy modeling and, um, that they learn from other adults that they're cared for and that they're encouraged, uh, wherever they may be in their journey and their identity. So I want to thank you for that and, and acknowledge you for, you know, there was no mystery that you showed up and, in my experience. and uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, these kids, when they start their journey, you know, like you said, you never know where they're going to end, but it is not a singular um, person working. I mean, it really takes a lot of people for a kid to, to get from, from AYSO to soccer to college or pro like your son. It is, it is a group of people um, that make it possible. So it's important that the kids recognize that too. 
Um, yeah, just like and, it takes those professional level coaches you said that are tough and are there to win it. Uh, the coaches that have influenced, you know, speaking about my uh, older son is playing collegiate soccer and now in Spain was the coach that made it the most fun for all the boys, whether they were winning or losing, and show that right. you go to for them. So shout out Absolutely. to Chris and AYSO. I, I coached. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I ever uh, learned the concept of offsides, but. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I failed forward. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. We'll have thank to do you this again forward. sometime. Yes, looking forward to more conversations down the line. All right. Have a good one, Richard. Thank you. Well, thank you again to our guest, Ryan Lynch, for making time in his busy investment career and for telling us of his family and all the things he does. And um, I'm just grateful to have such a community and have uh, the Maccabi Games. Westside Jay sending me amazing coaches, AYSO, and uh, shout out to all the young athletes out there that are facing these tough, adverse decisions uh, or that use sports and figure out they are going on a different path. Uh, so whatever your path may be, sports or otherwise, uh, the courage to grow up, learn the lessons, and carry on legacies and appreciate these moments. It's hopefully some of the gifts that Ryan gave us today and what it's like to live in a competitive environment in a family of success and a family of drive and still find your own way and make your own choice. Some of the key things, even uh, in tough moments and at young ages, are the choices we make stay with us for life. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out. Take care, everybody.